Welcome to the Eastridge Church South Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. You have reached the conclusion of the book of Revelation. We have made it to this point. Now, disclaimer first off, I didn't say this first service, but I had a shot lined up at Cameron, and I'm going to take it right now. If I tell a joke, which I don't think I have any written, I promise you they'll be better than Cameron's. <laughs> See? Already, I'm better laughter. That was, there was no pity laughter in that one. Um, <clears throat> No, we are here. We have reached the end of the book of Revelation. I hope you guys have gotten as much out of this, enjoyed this. I think I said this when I preached one of the previous series, but like this is the second time I've been through this whole thing in about four or five months. I, I went through the Matt Chandler version of the, the Village Church. I listened to all of them, and then I found out we were doing the, like rolling into this and gone through these. It's a phenomenal series. It's been phenomenal teaching. I hope you've gotten a lot out of it. I hope that you're encouraged in faith. You've learned something. And so we're, and I, I get the privilege of preaching probably the best message in the whole, whole thing. Like this is the, the culmination of this whole book. It's, a, it's an awesome ending, and, and I think it's going to great us great, great encouragement as we move forward. Um, and, and into the Christmas Eve, because I know it kind of seems a little weird to be ending the book of Revelation like the week before Christmas, but I promise you, like this has such implication towards Christmas that I think we'll all be really, really jazzed about what we're, the season we're walking into. But I, I want to talk a little bit, I was listening to a podcast, now trigger warning, disclaimer, whatever we call it these days, I'm going to briefly mention politics for a second, okay? I promise you though, you will not throw things at me, you will not walk out mad, it's just an illustration, okay? We good? All right, I was listening to a podcast, uh, it was a news and politics podcast called Breaking Points, and they brought on a guest, this guy, this guy's name was Brad Wilcox, he was from the National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia and the Institute for Family Studies, and so um, he and some of his colleagues, they had done some research, and they had found that on average, people, so left side, if you're on, people who are more on the liberal progressive side of the political spectrum in America were less happy than those who were on the conservative, the more right perspective. And now, this is not like a new thing. This is apparently something that has been kind of known in studies and in sociology for a number of years, and the hypothesis has been that it's because conservatives tend to be happier with the status quo. They're happy with the way that things are. They don't want things to change because they don't think that things need to change, so therefore, they're content where it is, and therefore, they're not all that you know, angst. But if you're more liberal or more progressive, you have a little bit of angst in you because you think things need to change. Things aren't great. We got to progress. We got to move forward. And so that's been kind of the thinking. But these people, they kind of studied, they really like, dug down deep on this issue. Why is it that there seems to be a happiness gap between, at large, by, you know, there's, there's exceptions to every rule, but on, on a you know, broad spectrum, why is it that is it seen that people who are more conservative are happier than people who are a little bit more liberal? And so what they found was that, that there was a correlation to the connection to America's three core institutions, faith, family, and community. And those are all things that it just tends to be that conserve people who lean more conservative are more deeply connected to those three things, to faith and to family and to community. And uh, 
and this really, it, it goes outside of political ideology and political spectrum because if people, because there are people who are more liberal who are connected to faith or family or community and they report happiness. Like that's what it is. It's the connection to these things. It's not the political ideology at all that leads to this. Now, as we sit here this morning, if you are a believer in Christ and you have been in the church, this is, might not be all that fascinating because you're like, well, duh. Like that's, that's what we believe. That's what we think. Uh, those of us who are in the church, we know this. We know the importance of these things and we understand where that happiness comes from. In fact, we would probably not even use the word happy. I really don't like the word happy because happiness is fleeting. What, what I think that we experience is joy. It's that deep abiding joy that can only come through knowing Jesus. Because when the world is crumbling all around us and the world has been a slow crumble, it feels like, for the last two years and doesn't appear there's any end in sight, it's just gonna keep crumbling, we focus and we know that there is something beyond it. There is something to look forward to. There is a hope beyond whatever mess we might find ourselves or whatever we're seeing in the world around us that people, if you are more secularized, you don't have that. You just... You just look at what's going on around you and you hope that it can be better, but you have no belief that it will be. And so that's kind of where we sit with this. That's, that's kind of what the, the studies have shown. But here's the thing, because we're not immune to this as, as Christians, as believers. We fall into this trap too. And I think that's why the way the book of Revelation ends, why it's so important that we really know and understand this, because we can be as filled with angst as our more secularized people in this country. We can feel that too. Listen, and I said this before, like, I, like, if you look on social media, there's a lot of Christians who seem to be filled with a lot of angst. Now, I don't know this myself because I banished social media from my life a long time ago, and I would encourage you to do the same because it's bad, bad, awful, terrible, bot people just trying to trick you into stuff, so just get off of it. But anyway, knowing that you're not going to do that, just understand like that this all stuff is driven to make us feel this angst, and you see this from people, and my wife will tell me these things, and just Christians, it seems like if there is a political shift or a cultural shift away from our worldview as Christians, it's like, he's coming back, y'all. Here he comes, like he's on his way. Listen, I'm 35 years old, and Jesus has been coming back every day for the whole entirety of my life. Like, it's been happening. He's, he's coming back. We're in the end times. If you go back to the 60s and 70s, we were in the end times. If you go back to the 30s and the 40s, we were in the, like, it just, this, at some point, we've got to stop the cycle. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes, we're in the end times because Jesus is coming back, and so we are, we are the ongoing end times big picture, but it's not the political and cultural shift of America that, that dictates that. Because I'm going to ask you this, because people that, that, that think that, just think for a second. What do you think our brothers and sisters in China think about the cultural shifts and the, the, the political shifts in America? Do you think they believe that and put their hope and look towards Jesus based on that? What about the people and Christians in Iran who have lived under the tyranny of the Ayatollahs since January of 1978 when the Iranian Revolution began? What about what we've seen unfold in Afghanistan? There are Christians in Afghanistan right now that are now living under the Taliban. Do you think that they care a whole bunch about what it is that goes on in the culture and the politics of America. And now listen, we, we tend to pivot towards this though, but we don't see it. And listen, I'm as guilty as this. I'm a 90s kid, all right? I grew up, the Left Behind series came out and I read every word of every book and believed, like this is what's gonna happen. Like this is it. I, now look back, like it borders on child abuse that my parents let me read this book, like so irresponsibly. I can make that joke because my dad's not sitting in the service. He was here first service, so I didn't make that joke. So you guys get a little, little extra here, second service. But uh, anyway, like, 
I, I believe this. I you know, sometimes was convinced I'm going to be left behind to save the people in the tribulation. Like that's just the kids. And I had so many conversations with students over the years that thought the same thing. Like, this is what we get sucked into this thinking in, in our own world. But if there's anything we've learned about the book of Revelation is that we can't bring our context to it or otherwise we'll miss, miss the richness of what God is trying to tell us. And so as we come to the end of this book, I want us to, to just get every bit of the meat off the bone. I want us to walk out of here with a full understanding and grasp about what all this is leading to, all the stuff that we've talked about, and know what our God is doing, and understand that it's not just that we win. Right? It's not just the fact that we win. That's, not, like, that's important, and it is great to know, and that's how we walk this world in hope. It's not just the fact that we win, though. It's, that, it's how we win that's also important, because how we win is going to determine how we live in the here and now and how we go about the business of our Lord and Savior until he comes. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up to Revelation 21. And we're going to be right here in Revelation 21 and 22. This is where we're going to camp at it, and we're going to wrap this book up. But here's the first thing that I really want us to grasp. Here's the thing that I want us to take hold of and root out, just, just have this rooted in this truth, is that the culmination of Revelation is not rapture, but redemption. Okay, this, this culmination of this book is not rapture but redemption. This book isn't leading us to the point where God vacuums out the church and then just destroys the earth. No, it is about building up the church to save the earth. That is what God is trying to do. He's trying to make it new. That is what is going to happen. So listen to these words in chapter 21 again, these words that Hunter just uh, read to us. I want to read them again and really just drill down on it. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. This will be his peoples, and God himself will be with him and will be their God." He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. No more grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. That's you and me. The one who conquers will inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son. See, this story that God has been weaving does not end with us being removed from this place. It does not end with us floating in the clouds, playing the harps, living in heaven. That's not where the story ends. It ends with us here on earth, but it will be new. It's going to be brand new because our God is going to make it new. His whole story from the beginning of Genesis, which I'm gonna talk about a little bit more in a minute, from the beginning of Genesis to right now is about redeeming this world and redeeming you and me to redeem the people along with it. Because we have a creator God who likes to make new things from the dust. That is who he is. That is what he does. And so last night, the reason I'm up here this morning is because Gary's uh, third oldest child, his oldest son, Micah, got married last night. And I said, I, I got, my wife and I, we were blessed to be invited to the wedding. I, Micah and Mitchell, they were one of the 
the first couple kids that I had when I was the student pastor here at this campus, and because there was a time I can remember actually, one of my first events that I did, we were going to play Ultimate Frisbee behind Alcovey because, you know, we didn't have a building. We didn't have anything to do. We just had this, the school, so I bummed off the school as much as possible. Let's play flag football. Mike and Mitchell were the only ones that showed up. It was just me and Mike and Mitchell, so we ended up going to Sonic, having a milkshake, and instead of exercise, I got a little fatter, and that's the way it worked, but... They were, they were some of the first couple students that I had, and, and to watch Micah get married was just, it was an honor, it was a privilege, it was awesome, I love the Thompson family, they're fantastic people, but it was fun, just, you, my wife, when we were driving away, she looked at me and she said, you know, and I should probably clarify this, I'm not having marriage, like deep marriage problems before I say this, so I didn't really clarify that, and I walked away, I was like, people might think we're having issues, you know, but anyway, she said, man, if you are having marriage issues, though, she said, sometimes maybe going to a wedding is about as valuable as counseling. Like to watch God joining two people together, to listen to the vows, to hear the story of God making something new. And that's what a marriage is. It is taking two separate people and making them one and creating something brand new. And there's a reason that in this verse, he said, uh, uh, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Listen, the marriage illustration, the, the, the theme of marriage and the, and the joining of the bride of Christ and, and Jesus, like all that stuff is mixed in and that is, that there's a reason that we, we call it one of the sacraments, that marriage is so, such a holy thing in the Christian faith because it is the picture of Jesus in his church. And so watching that transpire, last night, watching something get created new, it creates this newness in us. To hear people take their vows, to hear people commit to one another, to, to see the beginning of their journey together and seeing what God is doing. And listen, I'm looking so forward to seeing what God does in, in Micah and Madeline and the, the beautiful thing that he's going to create in them and the work that he's going to do through them. But watching that kind of stuff happen, it should stir in us this newness. And understanding understanding that the place that we sit now, the place where we are now, that this place will be redeemed and made new should change the way that we see it, the way that we view it, and more importantly, how we live and move and act within it. Because listen, we are meant to participate in this world. We are meant to bring hope to this world. We need to understand what it will be because you are going to treat it differently if your eyes are completely on an understanding that, that you will leave it. Because one day, listen, if we don't see Jesus return, we're going to leave it. And that's going to be a beautiful day when we get to see Jesus face to face. And, and we get to be with him in heaven, get to be there. But understand that that's not the end. We think it's the end, but it's not. Because if we go before he comes back, then we're coming back with him. We're coming back to this place. And God is going to redeem and he's going to make it new. Listen, all the things that he said in there, no more grief, no more tears. It says even the sea will be gone. Can you understand the importance of that and the, 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 hu the huge implications that come from that if you're an ancient person. Listen, the sea was a thing. You're talking about people who lived and still thought the earth was flat. Like you're talking about people who thought that the sea was this thing you traverse and there might be monsters in it. Like there's just this craziness and the tumultuousness of the sea that if you got on a boat, you didn't know for sure that you were gonna make it to your destination. It was a huge risk. Even Paul himself was shipwrecked for months trying to get to Rome. And to, to that, that's a significant thing where he says the sea will be no more. There will not be division. There will not be separation. That we will all be together in this new place, in this, this new 
what God is making, this place where heaven and earth collide, that we're all going to be joined together without the sickness, without the tears, without the grief, without the separation, without the divides, without all the tumult that goes on in our world. It's all going to be gone. That's a hugely significant thing. And if we start understanding that that's where it's all headed, so that while we are here, we are meant to be about that work, that we should be bringing as much hope, as much patience, as much love, as much kindness, as much joy, as much grace as Jesus is going to make in that moment, bring it all that we can do all of it that's humanly possible in the power and the spirit that if we be about that work and understanding that that's where it's headed I man we're going to bring as much heaven to this place now and be even more ready for it when it finally comes to fruition because that's what's going to happen heaven and earth are going to collide because we don't just escape to heaven see what actually happens is that we don't escape to heaven but heaven escapes to earth Listen to this in chapter 21. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of a heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The building material of its wall was jasper and the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first foundation is jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the last seven plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So what happens at the end is ultimately heaven and earth collide into one. Heaven comes to earth. We're not going to escape away from it. All right, this place is going to be rebuilt. It's going to be made new. But here's the deal. The worth, the calculus, the thinking is going to shift because it is, in fact, a brand new thing. And that's what God has been saying and doing for the last 2,000 plus years since Mary laid Jesus in the manger. Oh, that's what we celebrate this Christmas season. That's what we celebrate this time of year. This Advent season is that there is something new, that there is a beginning, that God was doing something new in humanity. That is what he was announcing at the birth of Jesus. He is saying, I am coming to you now. You don't come to the temple to sacrifice to me. You don't come to the tabernacle to sacrifice to me. You don't do anything. I am stepping down into history. I am coming to you to redeem you, to redeem this world. That is what I am doing. I am doing something brand new. And the point of this new place is to reflect and be as beautiful as the grace and the power and the love and the hope that Jesus has brought into the world and to accentuate it. That is what we see in this description. Now, there was a point that was made, and I wish that I could claim credit for it because I think it's brilliant, but it was made by a, a pastor named Judah Smith. He's a pastor of the City Church out in Seattle. And, and he made a couple of points about this because did you catch the little part about the, jet, the streets of gold? Because we all talk about the heaven is paved with the streets of gold, but I don't know that we've ever really, at least until Judas Smith said this, I had never really picked up on this. Um, and, and what he said about the walls being made of jasper, which I didn't even know what jasper was. Did anybody in this face, do you, do you know what jasper is? I mean, it's obviously a gem because of what it's read alongside, but I actually looked it up. It's this red opaque gem. And the deal with it is like you can't really see through it, but what we see in this 
is that this jasper that is, in, that is paving the foundations of, of this new city, this new place that God is making, it says it's clear like crystal. And, and this gold that the streets are paved with, that it's, it's so pure that it's transparent like glass, clear and transparent so that it ultimately points to the true treasure, the glory of God. Nowhere can you go in this place, nowhere can you go in this city that you don't see the beauty and the glory of God. Nothing blocks it because it's all transparent and clear. And in this place, this place that God is making new, he makes the worth of gold, the worth of asphalt that we have here. Can you, can you wrap your brain around that? That this thing, I don't have because my fingers are fat, that I don't have a gold ring or anything like that anymore. Anybody got a gold ring though? Just hold it up. This, this little gold thing that some of you have that I do not because mine is silicone, this, this thing that we have that we cherish that costs so much money, that the thing that, that we hold dear that symbolizes this stuff, that that is like asphalt in this new place. That is what God does. He makes things new. These most cherished, most valuable things are used like our streets. And let me just tell you something. This doesn't have much to do with the book of Revelation, but I'm going to tell you, if God can do that, whatever you brought in here today, that's the kind of thing that he can do for you. Whatever you want. Listen, I walked in here. This has been one of those weekends for me. Right, look, Friday it started. Uh, I, I dropped my son off at school and on the way home, almost home, and I got hit in the side, spun around in a 180, van's probably totaled, don't know how I'm going to replace it, that type of thing, ruined half my day, been working like all weekend, and we've had Christmas stuff on Christmas stuff, and all that, you know what I'm saying, like it just, the hamster wheel keeps spinning even though you want it to stop, that's been the weekend that I've been experiencing, and you know what, none of that is a match for God, and that's just silly Petty stuff. Some of you might have walked in here this morning with real stuff, real things that you're grappling with, real hardship. And I'm going to tell you right now that all that's just asphalt to God. That he can make something brand new out of it, and that is the story of Revelation. That is what God can do, and that is what God is going to do. He is about redeeming and making things new. And at the end, he's not going to just wipe it all out. Man, we already know this. It's just funny to me that sometimes we get fixated on the tribulation part of it and the punishment, because that's not the point. God already promised that. He said, I'm never going to do this again. He told Noah that. He's like, I'm never going to wipe it all out. I'm never going to destroy it all. The point is to get us to this place and to this belief and understanding that he is going to make things new. He's going to remake and he's going to restore what is broken and has been broken since the garden because here's the truth about this ending of this book and the ending of our holy scriptures is that the end of this story is really just the beginning. If you go back to Genesis, this is chapter one and two. It says, God created the heavens and the earth, that the earth was formless and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and then God said, let there be light and then he made land and he made animals and he made people and he made Adam and Eve and he created his people, the, the, the Jewish people through Adam and Eve and, and you had this moment and he gave them one thing, one thing to do and that one thing they could not do. He said, you cannot eat from the tree of the garden or the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is the one thing that you can do. Don't eat from this tree. 
and they couldn't do it. And that one command exploded to the 600 commands that are in the Old Testament and, and all the things that we try to live up to and try to do to make ourselves holy and we just can't ever fully accomplish. And so here's what God says about that last moment in Genesis chapter three. The Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. And that is the last that humanity had access to the tree of life. And listen, God cast Adam and Eve out through grace, because of grace, because here's the truth. The knowledge of good and evil meant that they were now responsible and understood what that was and to then to sin against God, the wages of that is death, and then to not be able to die, to eat from the tree of life and to live eternally means eternal separation from God. So his grace, it was grace that cast them out of the garden. It was grace that he kept them from the tree of life so that he could redeem creation. But that's not the last appearance of the tree of life. The tree of life, listen to this, we're, we're gonna get to it. It's not done yet. So then in Revelation 21, 22 through 27, I did not see a temple in it because the Lord, the God Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will, un will enter it, nor anyone who, is what is who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you know how significant these verses are for the ancient people, especially the ancient Jews who heard it, that there is no temple, there is no place. Because, of course there's no temple because there needs to be no dwelling place for the Spirit of God because God himself is now there with humanity for the first time since the Garden of Eden. This is all coming back. This is all being made the way that God intended it to begin with. And there's no danger. Listen, this, to close the city gates at night meant to protect the people within it. That's You wanted to be inside the gates when nighttime fell and the gates were closed because it meant you were protected. And God says, we will not close these gates because it will never be night because the glory of the Lord lights this place and it will never end. Worship changes. There's no need for it. Like Everything's going to be different. And then he continues on in chapter 22, 1 through 5. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal again, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord will give them the light and they will reign forever and ever. And here we have the tree again. The tree of life brought back to reside in this place. We are back to Eden. We are back to where God started it all. We are back to the plan that he has had from the beginning to redeem it all. Echoes of the Shema here in Deuteronomy chapter six where hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall write these commands on the, the posts of your house and on, and on your foreheads. The ideology has changed. Everything is changing. It's all made new. 
Nothing's gonna block the glory of God. No need for the sun and the moon and the stars because God's glory is the light. This is what God is going to make out of all that we see around us and this is what he's gonna make out of the things that even we can't see now, the things of heaven. This is what it's like when heaven and earth finally collide. This is where we're headed. This is what's gonna happen. And as is uh, only appropriate, Jesus gets the last word of this book. In Revelation chapter 22, these are the words of Jesus. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Then he said to me, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Let the unrighteous go on in unrighteousness. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the, the, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And this is how John ends it. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. See, the call to Jesus here, or the, the call to the church here is obedience. That's what Jesus is calling for. He says, let the, the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. That is the church. That is believers. That is who he is speaking to. And he's saying you must continue on in obedience and perseverance. Now think about the, the, the church that heard this, the church that was undergoing such great persecution, the church that, that was at every turn saw hostility, that saw death, that saw martyrdom. This continued on and on. And, and John is saying, or Jesus is saying through John, obey, keep your obedience, keep in perseverance, keep the faith, keep marching forward until this day comes. And there's a call to unbelievers here. The call is to Repentance. Okay, listen, if you came here, this maybe you've been coming for a couple weeks, maybe, maybe you've been coming for you know, several weeks, maybe this is your first Sunday and you just came because it's Christmas time and that's what you do at church, you come with family to Christmas, I don't know. But listen, outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, that is those who do not place their faith in Jesus Christ. And the call to this is repentance. And listen, I know that that sounds harsh, those are harsh words. But it's because that's who we all are. That's the identity that we all hold without Jesus Christ. And, he's, and this is grace that God is pouring out. And all these words, all these things are being told and all this stuff is going on and all this bad stuff happens that is meant to drive people to their knees and look to the throne of grace and look to the kingdom of God and place their faith in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you've just never placed your faith in Christ, man, I, I'm here to talk to you. There are people here that will talk to you, but there is a moment that is coming in the future and this beautiful moment I want and God desires and God wants everyone to be a part of. But the ultimate prayer is come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. That is the prayer. That is where John ends. You know, the prayer of the early church, which some of us maybe pray 
when traffic's bad, when crazy stuff happens, we'll say, Lord, come get us. Lord, come, Lord, come Lord Jesus. We might pray that prayer. But the, the Greek word, the, the, the word that the early church would utter was Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. That's the echo of what John is saying here. He, he offers no more after the words of Jesus that he relays, after, after hearing these things, after seeing these windows, after all of this stuff being, being thrown out. He simply lets it stand for what it is. He lets it be what it's going to be, and he says, amen to all of it. Think about it. Amen to the tribulation. Amen to the plagues. Amen to the glory. Amen to all of it. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That was John's prayer after witnessing and seeing all these windows opened up for him. And so I think that it should be our prayer too. So again, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you brought in here. I don't know where you come from, but I know what the call is. There's a call in this book to obedience. There's a call in this book to perseverance. There's a call in this book to repentance. There's a call in this book to understand and to see what is coming and to give yourself and to dedicate your life to it because it's all going to be made new. And so don't just live, and listen, we should, we should be so excited, and we should understand, and we should live and walk with hope, and not the despair that, that our secular brothers and sisters, the people in this world that are walking without this hope, we shouldn't walk as them, but neither should we lose sight of the fact that, yes, this world is not our home, but one day it's going to be, because heaven and earth are going to collide, and we are going to walk this place, and we are going to be in the presence of our God, and we are going to live it according to exactly how he planned it from the very beginning, and that should give us such great hope. And so this morning, let's say, if you want to talk about something, I'll be here. The Cameron's here. There's, I'm, there's people here that will talk to you. But what we're going to end this thing on, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate that truth. We are going to celebrate the fact that God is going to make things new, and he's in the process of doing that right now. He wants to make you new now. He wants to redeem you right now with this truth so that you can go about this world and you can live your days in purpose and in hope and in grace and in love, and in doing this, you might just do some things. These ones that are on the side, these people that we're praying for, these things, like this is the work that we are meant to do. We are meant to be about this redemption, to be about this, this making things new until either we take our last breath or Jesus comes back. That is what we are called to. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to echo this prayer of John. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. And then we are going to stand and we are going to celebrate because the king has come. Because he has done something new. And we are walking in the midst of it until he returns. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book. We thank you for this story. We thank you from Genesis all the way to these last four words, amen, come Lord Jesus, because they are grace, because they are power, because they are truth, because they bring hope and life change, because they are the thing that gets us through all the despair, all the struggle, all the heartache, all the death, all the destruction, all the things that have wreaked havoc on humanity since the fall. Lord, you're going to wipe those things all away, and you're going to rebuild this thing and make it brand new. That you're going to make it in the, the echoes and the image and, and, and the plan that you had from the very beginning. And so God, give us in this room, those of us who believe, give us perseverance, give us faith, give us obedience. Continue 
to pour in your spirit into us so that we continue to walk in obedience and perseverance. To those maybe in this room, if they have not made a decision for you, if they have not committed their lives, if they have not found this newness and found this redemption, God, I pray that today is just they're one step closer. And I pray that your spirit continue to work and continue to move in the people in their lives so they can come to understand who you are and how much you love them. And most of all, Lord, we pray for you. We pray that you come. We look forward to the day. We keep our eyes and our hopes on those moments for when all of this stuff comes through and we, and we ask for the direction on what we do in the meantime. And until that moment, God, we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you, and you have a family at Eastridge Church.